The contents of this podcast is not medical advice. This is my own opinions and views. Hello, and welcome back to Long COVID MD. I'm your host, Dr. Zeist Khan, a licensed and board certified physician navigating recovery from long COVID. Happy 2024, you guys. Today, I'm sharing five things I'm doing in the new year to support my health and to continue my recovery from long COVID. Some of these might be tedious, but they are nonetheless very important. Luckily, the most tedious of these tasks can be delegated to a friendly helper if you have one. The last one, however, is not. That is something you and you alone can do. So stay to the end to hear that. First, coming in at number five is reviewing your health insurance. Here in the U.S., insurance coverage can be convoluted, but it absolutely influences our medical care. You should know what resources are available to you through your insurance carrier. I want you to do this even if your insurance information has not changed, because the beginning of the year is frequently a time when insurance contracts are renegotiated. Some providers and entire hospitals can opt in or drop out of your insurance network. Your specific benefits may have also changed, either expanded or possibly contracted a bit. Take a look at your medical insurance card, find the phone number for patient services, or log into your account online and start digging. Here are the things I want you or your designated helper to check. Number one. Are the providers you plan to keep seeing or new providers you plan to see this year covered by your insurance plan? Is the emergency room or urgent care center that you prefer covered? Remember, if you have a true emergency, get to the closest ER no matter what. But if you're in an area where there are several options for urgent care centers in particular, These insurance contracts might influence your choice when you need them. Number two, what can I expect to pay at each medical visit and for each prescription? Some plans charge you a set fee called a copay that you're expected to pay for each medical interaction. Other plans charge a percentage of the cost of all of your medical services until you reach a certain amount. For either type of plan, there is usually an out-of-pocket maximum. After you've paid that certain set amount in the year, the rest of your year's cost should be close to zero. I'd like to know what my out-of-pocket obligation is at the beginning of the year and earmark that in my family's budget. Since 2021, I have met this limit by the early summer, and I expect to meet it this year too. The third question I want you to ask when reviewing your insurance coverage, what complementary medicine services are covered by your insurance policy? 
I ask specifically about physical therapy benefits, acupuncture, and massage. If you have an existing provider of these specialties or someone in mind, give the insurance company the name and see if they're covered. And finally, ask about digital health resources. Many insurance plans offer access to apps for things like meditation, for physical therapy, um, for sleep. There are also fitness monitors and nutrition guides available. You know, as patients with long COVID, some of these apps offer advice that might need to be modified for our needs, but they can be helpful. And I certainly have used some digital tracking tools, and I know a lot of my friends with long COVID have also. So if you are currently paying for a subscription service for one of these types of devices or apps, see if it's covered. And if there is something that you're interested in that you don't want to pay for out of pocket, see if it's covered by your insurance first. You might be surprised how many things are available to you. All right, coming in at number four, schedule your medical screenings. At the beginning of the year, I schedule my annual medical exam to get screened for age and demographic related conditions like cancer and heart disease. I usually schedule it around my birthday. Um, It's a nice way for me to remember. These screenings are important. Because remember, you can have long COVID and another serious condition. I don't want you to miss the signs of a big bad disease because you had so much on your plate with another big bad disease, namely long COVID. For me, this year is my colonoscopy year where I'll be screened for colon cancer. Remember to also schedule your annual gynecologic visit if that applies to you. Make sure you're up to date on cervical and breast cancer screenings. And don't forget your teeth and eyes. Schedule those dental cleanings. Schedule an eye exam. Eye exams test for vision, but they also test some signs of vascular disease also. So they are an important part of your health maintenance. As a note, these annual exams, um, or sometimes they're called health maintenance exams, are generally scheduled as longer visits than your typical follow-up appointment. So make use of the time to get examined, ask questions, and get input. Number three. Okay, we got the most tedious stuff out of the way. Number three is important, um, but it could has the potential to be fun. Um, and it can also be delegated to a friendly helper with some guidance from you. And this is updating my personal crash cart. So let me explain. In the hospital, a crash cart is a tool cabinet 
on wheels filled with the medications, supplies, and even instructions that can help in an emergency. In the hospital, when a patient is very sick or they are deteriorating rapidly, we say that they are crashing. It's the same word I hear us in the long COVID and in the MECFS world use when we are struggling the most. In the hospital, when a patient is crashing, we call for help and we sound a literal alarm. Designated medical staff from all parts of the hospital show up and one of the first things to arrive is the crash cart. There is at least one crash cart on every patient ward and some are stocked with supplies that are specific to the type of patients on that ward. The crash cart is such an important tool that it's checked every day, often at every shift, to make sure it's fully stocked and will be actually be useful in the emergency. You know, in medical folklore, the crash cart has magical properties. Its presence wards away evil spirits. So if it's close by, we believe we won't need it. But in reality, it often is needed. And we as medical providers depend on it to save lives. By having everything in one place, the crash cart reduces the cognitive effort and the physical labor of deciding on and collecting the tools you need during an emergency. The design of a crash cart in a hospital is based on real safety data that is based on human psychology and the ways we tend to act during a stressful event. The crash cart is a physical entity. It sits in a designated place It is curated, and it is organized in a way that is easy for anyone to navigate. I use the same guidelines to put together my personal crash cart. I mean, it's more of a crash kit. You know, for me, it's a small collection of supplies that generally help me when I have a long COVID crash. You might benefit from your own crash kit, so here's what to do. First, you need a container. Feel free to make this a craft project if that sounds fun to you, but if that's not your thing, don't worry. The crash kit does not need to look fancy. I myself use a tote bag, but a cardboard box, a gym bag, even a plastic shopping bag will do. Whatever the form, it should be visible, accessible, and recognizable to you or to someone who wants to bring it to you. So put it where you normally go when you have a long COVID crash. For most of us, that's our bed. Now you have your container. Fill it with two categories of goods. Things you commonly use during a crash and reminders of what to do during a crash. My crash cart has a bottle of water, a packet of hydration salts, a shelf-stable snack, and a weighted eye mask. 
I have a few medications that I generally use during a crash, um, a pain reliever and a couple of prescription meds. These are labeled and safely contained. So if you choose to include pills in your crash kit, please keep safety measures in mind, particularly if you have children or pets. If you don't want to include pills, that's fine. You might want to include a reminder to yourself to consider certain medications. Which now brings us to the category of reminders or what's called cognitive aids. In medicine, the use of cognitive aids in emergencies has been found to improve patient outcomes during emergencies. I used cognitive aids whenever I could as a doctor. A cognitive aid came in the form of reference cards illustrating the steps of advanced CPR. It came in the form of posters on the wall in the operating room that would remind the medical team to complete all the steps of pre-op safety check before the start of surgery. Cognitive aids are being increasingly used in medical settings because we know that during a period of stress, our executive functioning can drop. This happens even if you are a highly trained, highly experienced professional. What happens during a period of stress is that things that are usually simple to remember can suddenly not be accessed. A long COVID crash is not only a period of stress, it's often marked by a decline in cognitive function. So we have two reasons to have a drop in cognitive function and two good reasons to help with that drop in cognitive function. Using cognitive aids offloads some mental labor. It allows our brain to rest that bit more and perhaps eases our crash. My cognitive aids are really just a few index cards bound together with a metal ring. On the cards, I have names of restaurants that deliver and meals that I like from those restaurants. I can either order these things myself or hand the card over to my husband and he can order it. You could take a photo of the card and text it to a friend to order it for you. These steps eliminate cognitive labor during a time that your brain needs rest. My cognitive aids also include brief messages to myself to make me feel positive and keep me from spiraling emotionally. Uh, They're just reminders and pick-me-ups. I also include uh, things that I meant to do or wanted to try the next time I had a crash um, and quickly assess if that's uh, the right thing for me to do at that point. So your crash cart is going to be personalized to you. It can contain as much 
or as little as you like. The key is to stock it when you're feeling well, to prepare for the time that you're going to feel unwell. It can be as big as you want, but the bigger it is, the more organized it should be so you don't get lost in it. Remember, differentiated items are easier for the mind to identify. You can see what's in front of you more easily and more effectively remind yourself of what you should be doing. So what I mean by this is my water bottle, I see it as soon as I look in my crash kit. It's a cue for me to hydrate. My snack is a cue for me to nourish myself. My eye mask is a cue to rest. So not only are these items providing the goal, but they're also reminders of the goal, right? Reminders of what you should be doing to resuscitate yourself. And this might sound really simple, but do not underestimate how stress affects your mind. When we're faced with stressors, like we do in a long COVID crash, reinforcing some simple instructions can be tremendously helpful. So give it a try. Let me know um, how it works for you. Number two, this year I am making plans. And not only that, I'm making plans to have fun. Our disability is dynamic. I know that our physical abilities fluctuate and it leaves us feeling limited. It also leaves us feeling pretty isolated for a number of reasons. One of those is that I have become hesitant to make plans to do anything fun because of the fear that I will not be well enough to do them when the day comes. But I want to get over that this year. Since I've fallen ill, I have apologized for canceled appointments. I've apologized to friends, to my doctors, to my children, to my husband, And under those apologies, I have felt ashamed and embarrassed because I appear unreliable. But this is the year I'm letting go of that shame, and I wish that for you too. So whether it's virtual or in real life, coffee with a friend, an art class on YouTube or through your community center, or a plan to bake a new cake recipe that you want to try out because you were inspired um, by the British Bake Off and you have a fantasy of being the first American baker on that show. Whatever it is, make plans. Now, I call myself a beginner free spirit. And in the, um, you know, in the spirit of that, I have made some rules about this this decision. So I have two criteria for making plans like this this year. One, um, the activity should be 
something that I could reasonably do at my current baseline. And you know as well as I do, our current baseline fluctuates. But when I make plans, I'm going to make the plans based on the energy I have at my current baseline. The second criteria is that these are activities that are going to be simply for fun. And I need more fun in my life. And I did even before I fell ill. Before I fell ill, I was a busy doctor, a busy mom. I had a lot of additional family obligations. Um, I was the person that everybody relied on and was described as the rock of the family. The rock of the family is really uh, helpful for the unit, but the rock itself can get pretty boring. Fun and play was just not a priority for me, and I actually got to the point that I believed it was not available for me. It is only in sickness that I realize play is not only enjoyable, it's actually useful. And more than that, it's necessary. For me, what I've realized is that making plans in general, whether or not, you know, it's real, making the plans gives me a sense of empowerment. It gives me a sense of having some control in the face of this disease. And so that is, even if that's placebo, that's a still gives me a real dopamine hit and makes me feel good. So that's a reason to keep doing it. Another thing is the way I work um, or the way my mind works in particular, when I have a fun activity already scheduled on the books um, and it's an activity that takes me out of my normal routine and it's also one that I'm looking forward to, it actually motivates me to pace more intentionally for the time leading up to that activity and I actually find myself find myself scheduling uh, what I call unwinding time or recovery time after the activity. Uh, this way I'm not caught off guard and my attempts at being spontaneous and fun um, don't derail me. So I'm being less spontaneous but I want to keep the fun part. In this way, scheduling fun or scheduling play gives me a carrot. And as I enter, gosh, year four of having long COVID, I certainly need more sustainable methods of pacing without burning out. And that's a real possibility for me. Are there hindrances to this? Yes. Is it always possible to execute? No. One hindrance is that I might not feel well on the day of the activity. Okay, so what? There are plenty of flaky people in this world, and I'm giving myself permission to be one of them sometimes. If I need to cancel, then I cancel. And in order to do this comfortably, 
because I'm not a natural badass. I'm starting by scheduling activities that are low stakes, ones that aren't going to burden other people or my pocketbook too much. So if I need to cancel, I cancel. I'm also looking at the option of canceling as less a failure and instead just a possible outcome. Canceling is a possible outcome of a risk I'm taking. The flip side to this risk is that I'm going to get a payout. I'm going to feel good that day. I'm going to feel like I accomplished something. I'm going to have a dopamine hit. I'm hopefully going to laugh or giggle. So I'm not letting canceling keep me from making plans. I am not going to let it hinder me from making a play date. So play dates like this can be as frequent or as infrequent as you want. Do what fits into your life, but remember that play needs to be a regular part of your life. The other thing I want to remind myself and remind you is that play and fun is not something that we earn. It is something that we need. Please don't be afraid of introducing some fun and play into your life. Um, I'm going to try it and I have a feeling that it's going to do me pretty good. And finally, the number one thing I'm doing in the new year is not something that I can delegate to anybody else. And it is this. I am going to listen for the signals of health from my body. Long COVID recovery hinges on us getting to know how our body is communicating with us. Since I've been ill, I've spent a lot of effort learning when my body is communicating its limits. I've learned how to recognize how my body is warning me that I'm pushing or starting to push too far. I've learned how to listen to my body during a crash. I'm learning how to put into words what I feel and what I might need to feel better. And this has served me so well in my recovery journey so far. And I plan to continue cultivating this practice even more. This year, I'm adding a layer to this exercise by paying attention to how wellness feels in my body. How does movement feel when it feels good? When does movement feel good? Where do I feel it? You know, I don't know about you, but I have, perhaps because I've been conditioned to, um, I certainly, you know, have trained in, in medicine in a, with a strict perspective on health. Um, it's been unintentional, but I have considered illness as something alarming that requires attention, and I have viewed health as the default state. 
the absence of illness and therefore almost trivial. It's boring. I don't pay attention to health. I pay attention to pathology. I pay attention when something is wrong. But I don't want to approach my health anymore as simply the absence of illness. You know, my body deserves attention when it's feeling well too. And I want to get in tune with my body when it's sending me signals of wellness so I can recognize that feeling, um, I can mark that feeling, I can nurture that feeling. You know, this might sound woo-woo, but I do intend to get granular with this practice. I want to learn how to describe wellness, how to qualify it, uh, you know, maybe as a next step, how to quantify it, just as I have for symptoms like my presyncope when I felt like passing out, or my shortness of breath, or my tachycardia, or my fatigue, you know, and I'm hoping that by elevating my connection to my body in this way, paying attention to signs of safety, and not only to the signs of harm, maybe I'll accelerate my healing. Um, you know, I have a couple of reasons to think that. The, the main one is that I expect this is going to help me pace better, right? Because getting in tune with my body signals of when I'm pushing too far tells me when to lie down. And I really love to start listening for signals of recovery in my body so that I can better know when I can get up, for lack of a better phrase. You know, I think about my children or my pets and how they communicate. Even without words, they tell me when they are sleepy, cranky, hungry. They also show when they're excited, happy, or, you know, relaxed. Even before my kids could speak, they might as well have been holding up a sign with the name of their emotion on it. Once I learned that um, language, it really opened my understanding of my children and it helped me recognize the same signals in myself. Even a dog, you know, does this. It just takes time for a new dog owner to learn this language too. And I want to be able to understand my body in a similar way because I know it's holding up little signs. I just can't read all of them yet. And that's what I mean with this practice of listening to signs of wellness. Uh, I want to not only, I think I've done a really good job paying attention to signs of illness. I would love to cultivate that more by 
learning the signs of wellness and remembering how a good body feels. I hope that makes sense. So in summary, the five things I'm doing in the new year as a doctor with long COVID is one, reviewing my insurance coverage, two, scheduling my annual health screenings, three, updating my crash kit, four, making plans fearlessly, and five, learning my body's signals of well-being. Thank you for joining me today and for listening to this episode of Long COVID MD with me, Dr. Zeest Khan. Reach out to me with any questions, comments, or topic suggestions at longcovidmd at gmail.com. I love reading your messages. I hope you're feeling well today. And until next time, bye for now.